Hello, this is JFL, John Francis Leader, and welcome to the Body, Mind, Self podcast. So my guest today is Nikki Lannan. Nikki, welcome to the Body, Mind, Self podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So I've met you on, I suppose you'd call it the VR circuit. Um, it's an interesting one because uh, with a virtual reality interest, uh, it seems to come people from all kinds of different backgrounds with different goals. But maybe to set the scene, how, how would you introduce yourself? Who are you? Where'd you come from? What, what do you want to do? So my name is Nikki Lannan. I'm the CEO and founder of Wardux. Uh, we're a virtual reality studio based here in Dublin. Uh, my background is I worked for Facebook for almost five years um, and then following that I, I left and set up Wardux. Uh, I also run the Irish VR meetup group, which is a coming together of anyone interested in virtual reality or augmented reality. Uh, and then on top of that, I also run the, the Virtual Reality Ireland Facebook group. Uh, so I'd be quite immersed in the virtual reality mm. space, I suppose. That leads to the question, why, of, of all things you could be interested in, what is it that's captivated you? Well, Wardux was initially a game studio, so we built a Facebook and mobile game initially. Mm. Um, and then we realized that, you know, the mobile space is quite crowded and it's very, very difficult. Uh, we obviously experimented with virtual reality. Uh, we realized there was a huge opportunity there. Um, and so we pivoted into that space because it made sense for us yes. as a studio. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a kind of a massive topic, and I suppose it's so massive a topic, it's it's hard to define. I'm, I'm thinking that five, ten years from now, it'll be much easier to look back and define it yeah. to some degree. Yeah, it seems it to be so emerging at the moment in terms of what's happening. It really is. Uh, for any listeners who aren't 100% clear on what virtual reality is, uh, how, how would you set the scene? Well, I mean, I suppose it's a, it's a virtual space. So uh, you, you pop on a headset, uh, and then you're immersed in this virtual space. So whatever whatever content it is that you're locked into, you really feel like you're part of that environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and I suppose that's the best way to describe it. It's very, very immersive. So, you know, you can get very caught up in where you are. Um, and we have nothing like that to date. It's mm. the first it's the first product that's allowed for that. And so when it comes to to developing for that and to just even thinking about it creatively, how does that differ from anything else, any other type of game or experience? What is it like as a process, have you found? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. It is kind of more like a movie production, I suppose, mm. than developing for the mobile space or desktop space. Uh, you have to take a number of factors into, into account, like, you know, where the sound is coming from. So if something happens on the right-hand side of you, you need to make sure the player mm. hears that sound from that area. Um, and then other things like music. Music is very important. Right. Um, we have a, a very strong virtual reality composer um, and, you know, and, and just very environmental uh, things are very, very important. You can't take like a mobile product and just slot it on to right. um, VR because it just won't work. Uh, so, whereas in the past you saw a lot of desktop games worked on mobile, this is a very, very different space. Right. And what are the consequences of that in terms of the types of things that you're going to develop? Because it does seem all right that some types of concepts, even traditional concepts that, that mightn't have even been computerized, you know, offline things, things like theater or things like film, as you mentioned, might work but other things might not work that easily at all what yeah. what is that like when you're thinking about a title yeah it's interesting i mean it's a new space so you know a lot of it is testing exploring you know mm. uh, items that will work and things that won't work some things that you think will work won't work and mm. um, so you do have to like test and like create prototypes and kind of um see what's working in that space and what isn't it's very very new at the moment so and from what you were saying there um it, it sounds very very i suppose all processes should be but it sounds very user focused as yeah. in you're thinking about this this participant there in that world what's happening in relation to them in, yeah. in every given moment um you know other types of game design might have been more like uh, more about levels and platforms and things and the user is not really the point they're just a, a bit on the screen i suppose that relates to it yeah what, what happens when you start to put the user in how do you 
get inside the person's mind, I suppose, and how do you position it? It sounds like method acting or something yeah. like that that you're doing as yeah. a developer. Yeah. So for us, um, like it is all about testing. So, you know, you do have to create a prototype. You have to yeah. allow the user to experience it. You have to get testers in that like aren't gamers, are gamers. Mm. Uh, and you have to get them to, to try it out and give honest feedback. Um, the honest feedback part is difficult because a yeah. lot of people don't want to really be honest or criticize things. But for us as a studio, it's very, very important for people to give us what they feel would improve the mm-hmm. game or what they feel they would like to be doing in that environment. It's very important. How do you find that kind of feedback? Not the friends and family who, I don't know if they'd love it or hate yeah. it, but, uh, or the people who hate everything. How, what is that like? It's is good. It? It's good. It's it's for us, like we, we love getting feedback. So yeah. any sort of feedback that we get, we actually discuss it internally. We see whether it's something that we could change yeah. within the game because often if one person feels it you know many people will feel that same way uh, there's a game called job simulator i mm, don't know if you've heard sure, of, of them sure. uh, alchemy studios but they developed a very very strong game um but it's literally like you're doing like little jobs like mm. you know you're given tasks um you're kind of like in this kind of like animated environment uh and and you know they said that through testing, they realized that people wanted to do things that they weren't supposed to do. So, for okay. example, put their head down on the photocopier, you mm. know, um, and, and things like that. So yeah. they made tweaks based on the response that their testers had, you know, the feedback that te- the testers had given them. Uh, and then they learned a lot from that process. And that game has actually made three million dollars mm. in its first few months. So it, it actually was very, very successful. Mm. But all of their development was based on feedback. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I know, for all creative people is a difficult thing. Um, I'm thinking about writers. I'm thinking about musicians who have, I suppose, a body of work. And the question is, at what point is this finished? At what point does this get released? Yeah. Obviously, an editor might push it or there has to be a point where you go, okay, that's it. And now let me move on to the next story. And, you know, somebody like Stephen King might keep themes going throughout his work. But at the same time, there's a point where it stops. Yeah games or interactive experiences are strange and that in principle that feedback could be updates it can change it can be malleable in that way and of course you're never going to have the resources to get it exactly as you want it you could always still do something with it what's that like in terms of a process finding those lines yeah i mean i suppose you could keep tweaking anything so yeah there's kind of like a joke within the games industry that it's you know you're never going to get your product perfect in your eyes because there's just so much that you can continue doing in every Mm. level Uh, for us like we try and give ourselves deadlines and points where we know that we could have a solid product ready and then just work really hard up to that date Uh, obviously that date could potentially move a little based on you know last minute things but we do try and kind of reach that hard uh, deadline Mm -hmm. um, because you can just continue working on something based on Mm. feedback forever and a lot of people, it seems, are, uh, as a result, kind of giving up on trying to get a finished product complete and kind of going for open worlds and going for add-ons and going for things that that build. Is, is that going to happen more and more, or is that is that the easy way out to try? It? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think it'll depend on the project. Project. So yeah. you're just gonna you're just gonna you know it's gonna vary from project to project and the yeah. you know the scale of the project, I suppose. Because there is a flavor to things too. I can kind of imagine anyone you two or whoever saying this album not quite right but yeah. then if they keep waiting long enough it'll become a different album and they probably would have cycled through all their albums exactly and now they'll be here in 2017 exactly. isn't it we kind of need things to make a mark in time yeah exactly too. and like with with virtual reality i feel as well there is an opportunity there based on the amount of content that's there right now uh, so you really are trying to get like a you know very solid uh, content out yeah but relatively quickly so exactly um, viewer yeah. projects take a long time they mm. um they require a lot of uh work in terms of art animation um you know storytelling music sound design like it's 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 quite a big production yeah so if you spend a long time tweaking things and changing things it becomes a much 
longer and bigger projects, which probably isn't to your advantage, to be honest. How much of that is, do you think, because of the infancy of it as a technology, how much of, of the workflow is going to be addressed, I suppose, so that there's still going to be lots to do, but you can actually get down to that creative part rather than just trying to invent the wheel to begin with? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think with VR, a lot of the time you are kind of inventing the wheel anyway, mm. because um a lot of stuff just hasn't been done yet right uh, and like you really we don't know what audiences reactions are to certain things yeah so there's a there's a lot of it that is kind of like you know risky i suppose in yes. terms of like trying to get yeah. out something that you know people will like what we do is we we you do see certain trends within the vr industry and we do um try and take use cases that have been successful and then you know bring them back in somehow into what we're creating to kind mm-hmm. of eliminate that. So the the user base for something like this is potentially broad. How, how, do, how do you think about that? How do you go about saying, okay, well, whatever about feedback, but this is who I'm trying to reach? Uh, so we kind of know who the VR users are right now. Mm. Uh, and it's early adopters. So it's people yeah. that are interested in tech and um, people who will invest in desktop VR in particular, so right. those devices, um, they will, you know, they will be investing like, you know, maybe 1800 euros yeah. between a PC and the actual device. So they are like very, very interested in mm-hmm. tech. Um, they're early adopters. Uh, so, you know, you, you kind of know that audience right now, but as we're seeing VR grow, that audience is going to become broader and broader. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, mobile VR, uh, has a much broader audience right. because um, cardboards, which are ten euro, were mm. purchased. You know, um, there, there's millions of those out, uh, and then also uh, the Samsung Gear VR. Uh, there is six million of those in the market. Right. Um, who is using them regularly? Uh, we don't really know what the demographic of that per- person is, but again, I would imagine it's that kind of early adopter, mm. interested in tech sort of mm-hmm. audience. And because that's part of it as well is as you talk about these different platforms, some of which are desktop based, but some of which are more than desktop based. If we think about like the HTC Vive, it's it's room scale and it's 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 worse than desktop based in yeah. terms of the commitments. You, yeah. you, you need to really make it run well. Uh, or as you say, something like uh, Samsung Gear VR on the other hand, which is just very portable and uh, very much to hand. How do you think about that in terms of development? Because, of course, mobile gaming in and of itself has really changed the game so much in terms of needing to stop and start and doing it on buses and so many people using it, you know, while commuting versus, you know, a similar thing we used to have, I suppose, with desktop gaming, isn't it, console gaming. So where where does, at the moment, at least VR fit in on that and where might it be going? Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. I I think... There is definitely two different, you know, there, there's been um, two different brackets created, I suppose. So it's uh, desktop VR, VR and mobile VR. Um, mobile VR is restrictive because you don't have the capacity on a mobile phone to have like very, very high end art assets. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have, you just don't, don't have a lot of the strength that a uh, uh, desktop computer would have to drive the, mm. the actual content so you are quite restricted on mobile viewer um but then it is more portable and there is a lot more of them out there yeah um with desktop viewer the price point is obviously a big um blocker for people and yeah. um, but the content is a lot mm-hmm. uh, more high quality mm. um so personally i think desktop viewer is probably going to drive viewer a little bit more because uh, it is just that li- it's 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 so much better than mobile viewer, um, it's so much more high quality. Mm. Um, so I do believe that that desktop viewer will drive it. On the flip side of that, um, uh, desktop viewer ne- the price points needs to co- need to come down, right? And then we need to see them more accessible. So you shouldn't have to buy a very very hype end PC mm. to have mm. desktop viewer. Uh, we have seen some announcements that will help with that. So Oculus are going to, uh, they have announced they were bringing down their price point, but also it will be 
um, you'll be able to use it with a laptop, for example, and okay. that will be a big advantage to people. Uh, so it's it's just about waiting it out. I think we will see growth in, in both sides, um, mobile and desktop. Um, but I think I think personally that desktop will drive it a little bit mm. more. Yeah, because from you know in terms of mobile gaming and how how common that's become, and you just need to get on any bus or any train and you know really see the degree to which uh, which it's caught on. Is it practical in any way to use VR on a bus or on a train? Yeah. Is, is that is that going to happen ever? Or, I know. or for that very reason, are we going to be indoors in a room anyway? So we might as well have the high quality stuff. I think people are kind of like self-conscious about <laughs> using VR in public spaces right now just because it's not as widespread. And, sure. you know, it does like, you know, I know I, I used it in an airport just I was demoing our game to someone yeah. in an airport and a lot of people were staring yeah. uh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like when it does, like, you know, we see it become more widespread and more people have them, I don't think it will draw as much attention. Mm. I definitely don't. But in saying that, it isn't something we need to be mobile, I don't think. Okay. It's very immersive. Yeah. So to be doing it in a public place, I don't know if that's ideal. Yeah. The advantage with mobile viewers is it's portable. Right. So if you're going to away for a night to a hotel, you could bring it with you or whatever that might be. Um, that is a very large uh, advantage. I think probably in the end, there will be a, a room for both. So people will have their very high-end desktop viewer device uh, in their homes mm -hmm. but then they will you know you know all the new mobile phones are going to be viewer compatible so mm -hmm. they will potentially have a mobile viewer kit that they will bring when they travel mm -hmm. um but i think in the end there will probably be a place for both but i think desktop viewer will be the most prominent having set the scene then of a vr and, and, and what's going on there as a, as a kind of a container to deliver an experience or a narrative within um how do you think about narrative? How do you think about engaging the user? Um, you know, I was looking at some old 1980s computer games there and, and their simplicity and charm, of course, as well at the mm -hmm. same time. And yeah. Things have gotten, of course, a lot more complicated or sophisticated, depending on what way you want to look at it in terms of the amount of assets and content and stuff yeah. that's, that's <laughs> just there in an experience. So obviously narrative, for want of a, an elegant uh, definition, is that thing that pulls all that stuff together, yeah. all these different assets and, and things that are happening in sequence. How do you think about narrative your, yourself and your process and um, uh, to what degree does, does VR then play into the narrative much? Yeah, so I think, uh, so VR storytelling is really what you're talking yes. about. Yeah, so I think there's been a lot of attention drawn to VR storytelling because it's a very different environment. Um, it's something very new. Um, I think... I think it can be done very well, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, the way we look at it, at it is, again, through testing. So we mm -hmm. do what we think will work, um, and then we get other people just to test and give their feedback on whether it's, you know, it's coming through on the other side or whether right. we can see what's going on there. But it is, it is, it's an interesting space because it's just, it's, it's a new way of doing things. It's a new way of providing a story there the more or less can be given in the experience you can you know have a kind of a more 360 video type thing where you're you know literally watching a documentary essentially which is pros and cons to it yeah you can have something um you know far more abstract which can still be very uh, emotive and very evocative in its own way um and then of course you can have things being vr and, and not being vr in terms of the story or in terms of, of drawing things in, because, you know, even those 80s games I was talking about, they have a story. Yeah. It usually be tacked on the end yeah. quite crudely, yeah. but still there's a story, still yeah. there's something going on. Yeah. How do you, the user feedback, of course, is very important in this in terms of shaping it and making sure it's hitting its mark. But from almost like a filmmaking or a storyboarding point of view, how do you approach that when you're designing something yeah we so we do quite a number of things actually so we we normally brainstorm out a concept to begin with mm -hmm. um then we storyboard it out and we write out a script mm. uh, with games it's interesting because you you create a, a, ga a game design document 
So we actually uh, hired uh, Brian Upton, who's a PlayStation game designer, mm. to work with us on that. And he helped us create our core narrative because mm. um, obviously you want to make sure that it appeals to that audience. Yeah. Um, and then we created something very, very detailed. Uh, so it, it, it kind of, I suppose, uh, dictated the whole narrative throughout the whole way mm. uh, throughout the whole game and how that would all come together at the end mm. and then we still discuss it the whole time so for example on Friday um, we went through the whole narrative uh, and spoke about you know did it work was it clear to the player we potentially may have to make some tweaks at the end uh, but we um, so like it'll be constantly revised and edited yeah. right the way up to the end of the project so you'll get some sort of a story arc together essentially yeah. and then and then you know, yeah. break it down into, yeah. into bits because that's suppose. the thing with VR it's so new that you you need to make sure that it still works mm-hmm. so it's you know something that looks really nice on paper and looks yeah. very clear yeah. may not be clear when you're in that environment mm-hmm. uh, so you just need to make sure that it is it is very clear to the player what's going on there seems to be a danger in many forms of storytelling whether it's vr or anything else in uh i suppose giving the participant too much as well in other words this sort of push and pull between how much you're drawing their imagination in versus showing it all in front of yeah. them yeah and uh, yeah yeah i don't think it really needs to be one or the other you know there's yeah. obviously better and worse ways of, of using any 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 tool um how does i suppose specifically to vr but you know generally in any of the experiences you're creating how, how do you think about that question the classic thing of course is when the you know the film or the book comes out and all the book people are very disappointed because yeah. they've kind of invested in their imagination already i know i know how much work do you get the the user to do i suppose and how much do you give them yeah again it's all about testing i mean the interesting thing about narrative is it can draw a lot of attention mm. uh so you know you're trying to retain your players uh, and trying to keep them coming back and keep them you know from for, hopefully they'll enjoy the whole game yeah. so they will have to come back a number of times to finish the the game uh so for us it's all about making sure that there's enough there to entice them to come back. So you're kind of adding little bits and bobs to make sure, you know, they have some sort of emotional draw Mm -hmm. to what you've created. Can you draw on from anything you have developed or are developing any any kind of examples of what that what that was like? Yeah, sure. So we have a game called Sneaky Bears, which we launched mm. on the Samsung Gear VR and cardboard. Um, and a fascinating so, combination of kind of cute and terror, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? I know. It's, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so uh, that game has done pretty well, um, and it came to I think it was number twenty eight in the top selling um, on the Samsung Gear VR. Mm. Uh, and what we did. In that game is we had a strong narrative with an evil teddy bear who had taken mm. over a teddy bear factory uh, and you had to go he's he sending all these his evil teddy bears uh after you and you had to go and like you know basically annihilate all them it's kind of like a, a point and click mm. um so we with that you know we had like uh little um bits and bobs of the narrative coming as you went through the levels and then obviously mm. you get to an end level where you have to like you know meet the the evil bear so you're kind of just seeing the evil bear on a screen throughout and then finally you meet the evil bear at the mm. end and you have to defeat him um we launched another game called uh, sneaky bears roller coaster which is kind of an add-on to that ip and that actually reached number two in the top selling mm. on the samsung gear vr which was fantastic mm. We were one behind Minecraft, so we were mm, delighted with that. that. <laughs> um, and that game, uh, well, it's more of an experience. So you're, it's literally just a roller coaster around the factory. So there's very little narrative, for example, in that title. Um, it's just kind of what was an add-on to the Sneaky Bears uh, brand. The game that we're working on at the moment is Sneaky Bears, um, which is for uh, PlayStation VR, Oculus Rift and HTC Vive mm. to begin with. Um, but it's a much more lengthy version of those original titles. So we realized on mobile VR that there was an appetite for those sort of games. The feedback has been really strong. We've mm. had like really positive media attention around those mm. titles. Uh, so we knew that we could actually invest in creating something a lot more in-depth and lengthy for the, the more uh, advanced VR um, hardware. Mm. Uh, and so that's the game we're going to launch in May. But the story with that and the narrative throughout is much more lengthy. There's a lot more strategy 
you know, we're going after the PlayStation VR uh, player who uh, would probably demand quite quite a bit more in terms of gameplay, etc. Um, so we have lengthened out the story quite quite substantially for that. So where do ideas like this come from? <laughs> you can see that on the App Store and go, well, that obviously was waiting to be made. Yeah, it's successful. It's great. It's fun. Yeah. But, but why? Where did that come from? Yeah, like... The team we have is amazing. So we do a lot of brainstorming. We actually mm. really enjoy VR. So we play a lot of VR in the office. Mm. Um, and so the whole concept initially came from, you know, us just brainstorming. And then and then again, it was just, you know, talking back and forth, lengthening out the story. Uh, Keith, one of our developers, mm. really enjoys, you know, storytelling and writing. And uh, he wrote out the initial concept uh, piece. And then again, we got this uh, uh, Brian Upton, this mm. ex-PlayStation game designer, to do something a little bit more detailed mm. for us. So it all came together in the end. Um, but it was good for us to have the test case of using the mobile VR platform right. for finding out, you know, before we invested heavily yes, in true, desktop true. VR, um, that uh, that the concept is something that people love mm. uh, and something that they're really engaged with. Mm. And is it, from the creative point of view and putting that together and making decisions on it, was bounding your options easy? I mean, did it inevitably kind of go that direction after? I'm sure you had to work through it, but did it go that way or was it forking off in different directions as a creative process? Yeah, I mean, so I I suppose it goes different ways. It kind of swings and roundabouts. So, you know, you do find that... uh, things can go a certain direction and then you have to pull them back. Yeah, sure. And again, that's all based on testing for us. You Hopefully know, so not after you've drawn up all your assets to the highest degree. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You just, you really have to be very careful that everything that you do is something that people enjoy. Mm. And that's the thing with VR. So it is, it's all about testing. Mm. And before you invest too heavily in something that you think will be amazing, you have to ensure that for the actual end user, that experience is amazing. I'm thinking of that old, in, in therapy and psychology, that whole life purpose model that's used, which is that, you know, something as big as your life purpose is nobody should be telling it to you, even if they knew what it was, it's for you to find for yourself. Yeah. But it tends to involve a combination of three big factors. One is, what are you actually good at? So I suppose from a game development point of view, what are you skilled in developing, isn't it? There's going to be some types of projects you're going to be more equipped to work on than others. So that's scale. And the other one then is passion, which is what do you love? (laughs) What do you enjoy doing? So obviously some things you might be very skilled at developing, but you're not interested in them as as titles at all. So it's going to be hard to muster that energy to keep going. But then the third one in the the Venn diagram is, well, what do people need? So I suppose that's the the, the end user, isn't it? What are they out there looking for? So it, it sounds like from what you're saying, you've clearly got the skill in that kind of development and uh, you do seem to enjoy that type of game yeah in terms of the third bit the, the the end user obviously the problem with that one is is you know there's country music fans there's you know rock fans there's you know people who like you know house music there's there's a lot of groups out there sure yeah is your audience clear when you take your skill and your passion into account or do you have to make a decision on your audience at a certain point? Yeah, I think I think with VR it's pretty easy because, as I said, it's like that early adopter right. audience. So you kind of your audience is kind of defined and you have to make sure that the testers you're, you use are you know, that demographic, I suppose. Okay. Um, but yeah, you, 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 I think for now we are clear on our audience. Uh, it is something you do have to take into an account mm. when you're creating concepts and mm. when you're, when you're thinking things through. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, for us, you know, reaching that early adopter audience, we had to make sure with, that whatever content we created was correct for that audience mm. and that would, it would appeal to them. If we kind of fast forward into the future and these early adopters are out of the way, they're still there, of course, but yeah. they're the vast minority because this thing is ubiquitous. It's out there. It's everywhere. It's it, the, the barriers for access are gone, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a big user base. Yeah. What's that going to look like, do you think, in terms of, 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 of design or even trying to, trying to target? Yeah. So it'll be the same as games. So, you know, mm. you will choose... Uh, what audience you're normally you'll you'll your demographic of your uh, first games are 
going to be indicative of what you actually create in the future. So for us, um, you know, I imagine we will be going after that type of audience mm-hmm. uh, going forward. The game we have is very casual, so it's it's mm-hmm. extremely animated. It's extremely casual it actually does appeal probably to a broad audience um as in it would appeal to uh you know teenagers mm-hmm. um millennials uh and uh i think you know both both male and female right uh so that in that regard we're we're very lucky mm-hmm. uh, and you'll see that with some of the more casual kind of like playstation games or anything mm-hmm. like that uh they reach quite a, a broad demographic so uh, I suppose, yeah, I suppose that's what we will do going forward and that's who we'll try and reach. Do you feel a bit more existentially satisfied now that you've gone down this road a bit? Because that's put some kind of parameters in place, yeah. which I suppose bounds your creativity in a good way, yes. isn't it? It lets you think within a space rather than just... <laughs> yeah. I mean, for us, the fact that we were able to create two hit titles on Samsung Gear VR really, really stands to us because it shows that we have a strong team. It shows that we are creating content content that people Mm. are going to enjoy. And even for us as a team, like, you know, it it definitely has created a lot of confidence in the office, uh, a lot of enthusiasm. um, And and we feel like we're in a really, really good place Mm. at the moment, for sure. Well, it does, because it seems to reflect back to that point of skill, passion and, you know, user need in that sense. Because one thing I see whenever I see you guys demonstrate or any media attention, the passion clearly is in place. There's a joy in what you do. That seems to be it's an interesting one because I don't think, well, hopefully not in 2017. I don't think we still have a Victorian kind of industrial revolution notion of work. I I, I think we at least get it can be interesting, but we still think, oh, well, it's hard to make it interesting. Or I I almost feel a bit guilty if it is too interesting. Am I working hard enough? (laughs) You you do seem to have a playfulness and I'm sure there's very, very hard long days as well, but there does seem to be some heart in it behind it. Would that be fair to say? Definitely. We have a, like uh, we have the most amazing team it's actually great uh we uh, we have a really really nice atmosphere in the office um and we're doing what we love i suppose mm. so everyone wants to, you know that that generates a lot of momentum um and everyone's kind of just enjoying the success that we're having right now and hopefully we'll have in the future so we're we're excited right now we're excited to see what comes down the line mm. we're excited about Fior. Uh, and we're excited that we're going to be launching a game on PSVR. Mm. Um, so so we're in a very good place. And that love and that passion meeting the harsh reality of business and deadlines and practicality. How, how do they play together? They play pretty well. I think when you're in a good working environment, it's a lot easy to do that sort mm. of thing. Uh, so, I mean, for us, you know, if we have a deadline, we talk about it internally um, and we decide how we're going to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's no, there's no, you know, as a team, we come together and we get it done. There's no mm-hmm. kind of, you know, there's no, no one standing over the guy sure. saying that, you know, you have to stay here sure. till 12 o'clock at night. They do that organically. So uh, we have a very, very good vibe in the office. And I think... I think it actually, it just, it creates this really nice environment where people are happy to put in the effort to create solid content and to get it out in time. As you develop now for multiple platforms and it's sort of onwards and upwards, how is that going to change things for you, do you think, or how has it changed things so far? Yeah, it's it's good because we're learning a lot more. Mm. Um, our experience, obviously, um, we're becoming a much more experienced team. Uh, and as I said, we're definitely gaining confidence as we go along. Mm. Uh, and things are getting quicker, you know, as you learn yeah. more, um, you know what works and what doesn't work. And it puts you in a much better place to be creating really, really solid, good quality content. Uh, which is what we want to do. We want to just be able to create really, really good, enjoyable content for VR. And we've also created a little bit of AOR as well. So we're, we're open to kind of exploring that area as it, as it um, unfolds. I suppose. Well, that was my next question, because yeah, yeah we, we've certainly jumped in, into to VR. If we talk about AOR, augmented reality, how would we position that for somebody who doesn't know what augmented reality is and maybe only recently has learned what virtual reality is. Yeah, so augmented reality is 
I suppose the easiest way to describe it is Pokemon Go. Mm -hmm. That's what <laughs> uh, I did in my last <laughs> podcast video. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, looking through your mobile phone and seeing virtual things in the real world, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, I think augmented reality will be really big, um, but it's all coming down the line. <laughs> so we did create a, a AOR version of Sneaky Bears where it was like whack-a-mole. Mm. So you, you place your mobile phone and you had to like hit the bears as they came out of your desk, mm. for example. Um, so I think there is a huge opportunity there for cre creating like nice fun experiences on AOR as well. Mm. And it's not as immersive. So it potentially is more accessible to people. I think there'll be a place for both. AOR is very good in business related mm -hmm. cases um, and we're seeing it being used a lot there. So I think there will be a place in boats going forward. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets psychological and even philosophical, isn't it, on a certain level? Because when we say something is or isn't immersive, it's an interesting thing. And it seems to tie back to this point of imagination and engaging it we were talking about before. Because, of course, one of the ultimate classic uh, virtual reality systems we have is a, a book, isn't it, in yes, that sense? Yes. That, you know, it's black text on white paper. That's the input as such. Yeah. And if you think about the experience you're having when you read a good book, if people do that anymore, yeah. but the experience is is phenomenal, isn't yeah. it? It's this rich, multi-sensory experience, yeah. yet that's all that's there. Yeah. So it's weird because it's immersive, but... It's not like a VR headset is giving you the visual experience, the auditory experience. This is, um, we could say it's augmented reality in terms of its display because you've still got the world in front of you in the book. But of course, you're not even seeing any of it. It's kind of sending your imagination inward yes. in, in, in that sense. Yeah. So it, it does get kind of complicated, doesn't it, when we think about what is immersive and what isn't. Something that is augmented could potentially be very immersive. Yes. Something that's a VR experience, if not suitably engaging, mightn't be that immersive. We might be thinking about what's going on outside yes, it. Yes, I suppose, yeah, I suppose you're right, actually. Yeah. These are massive questions, and I don't, uh, it's going to take a thousand years at least. Yes. I think I think uh, Socrates was working on these, so <laughs> we're, we're, we're not there just yet. Yeah. But uh, at least on a practical level, if not on a psychological or philosophical level, how do we think about this, do you think? Because, you know, so far, I suppose there's been these two different trends. We've called it AR, augmented reality, yeah. VR, virtual reality. Uh, one obvious path seems to be things like HoloLens. And I think we can certainly envisage a time, isn't it, where there's degrees of transparency and there's yes. sort of full VR and then there's less of it. Yeah. What, what does that mean in any shape or form for when we're trying to develop experiences or how we've been just thinking about the technology? Yeah. I, uh, I, so it's difficult to tell, you know, it mm. is difficult to tell where things are going and what's going to come down the line. Um, I think at the moment, you're right, they are kind of like separated. So, you know, you have virtual reality, you have augmented reality. There is this mixed reality space, um, mm. which is uh, similar to augmented reality. And so, you know, the, the future, there's a lot of hardware and there's a lot of devices coming down the road. Um, and we'll see how things evolve. But I think... I think it should be interesting. I think there will be interesting times ahead. I think the technology is just getting way more advanced. I think this year we'll see a lot more um, releases. There's definitely a lot more coming out in the VR space uh, and the AOR space. Um, and so we, we will see what will come down the line. But I, I don't know exactly mm. where it's going to go. It's going to be very, very interesting to see. It seems a safe bet might be to be very, very content focused, isn't it? And get that right, yeah. but be willing to adapt it as we need to. Yes, exactly. I think so as well. Uh, it's important that we have high quality content as well. Mm. Uh, really enjoyable content. Because as the hardware does evolve, mm. if the content isn't matching that hardware, there's a bit of an issue. Because right. people aren't really, you know, excited about buying um you know the hardware and investing in the mm -hmm. hardware unless there's content to match that so it's a time when yeah both need to be progressing quite substantially yeah because the, the the fad happens doesn't it when it, it's just overly constrained by just one iteration of a technology yeah. yes that, that doesn't need to be the case exactly and i mean good storytelling is something that never goes out of date exactly yes but of course the exciting difference i suppose is the interaction isn't yes. it because 
you know, I suppose there's interactive theatre and things like that where, you know, people come off the stage or walk around you, but certainly a lot of the, the media we've come accustomed to, film and things like that, have uh, have been rather passive in a sense. They've kind of captured an experience to some some degree. Yes. But actually throwing people in the middle of it seems to be the, the fundamental difference. Totally, yes. On the point of the augmentation, the mobile uses of augmentation that would seem to lend itself much more readily it would seem like we'd want the augmentation a lot while wandering about compared to the vr yes i 100 i mean it is a lot mobile it's a lot more mobile uh it's something you can do very very easily so yes 100 it would if um you were to give advice, I suppose, because I'm conscious a lot of the types of people who listen to, to things like this are people who are kind of inspired in this area, interested in this idea. Maybe they're just getting into it or maybe they've been at it a while, but they've got some ideas and they want to get into it in some shape or form in terms of um, it could be development, it could be games, it could be experiences, it could be it could be really anything. I suppose there's a, f- a few people, so there might be slightly different advice for each of them, but from your you know, experience and learning in this, do you have any good advice to anybody who wants to get into developing or really exploring this area more? Yeah, come to the Irish Viewer and 3D <laughs> Camp meetup. Yeah. Um, so the meetup that we run is actually um, in conjunction with 3D Camp. Um, so the two of us had separate meetups and we brought them both together. Mm-hmm. So it's very large. It's like 160 people at each event. Um, and you'll just see people demoing what they're doing. People really share. That's the only way that Ireland in any way is going to you know, be on the map in terms of VRA or is through mm. sharing um, and and speaking to each other and um, communicating, you know, and, and being able to help each other in the space. Uh, so that was the role of the meetup. Uh, and I have to say, um, if anyone is thinking of coming, get, getting into that space, it's the ideal place to talk, you know, bounce mm. your idea of people in yeah. the industry that know what they're talking about, mm-hmm. whether it's possible, how much it would cost. You know, people are very, very willing and able to give advice in this space. So, um, yeah, so I'd highly recommend that. And they, they happen every two months uh, and it's just in the evening for like two or three hours. So, uh, yeah, so anyone interested in this space should definitely go to one of those. What type of advice are they likely to get? What would you say if somebody came to your door and said, look, you know, I want to get into developing. Um, what? 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 what, <laughs> what what's <laughs> some of your wisdom? <laughs> um, so I think I think it's very important to speak to people in the industry to realize all of the elements that you need to account for. Um, so things like sound design, things like uh, music, um things like animation and art all of these different parts of the jigsaw need to be looked at individually Mm -hmm. Uh, so i think just just making sure that you can provide in all of those areas is very very important but it's always dependent on the project like you know it could Mm. be a project that isn't actually that difficult Mm. uh, in some of those elements so it's it's you know if I, I honestly think about if someone has an idea, they should just speak to someone in the industry who would know. And and I think you're you're very right in what you say and what you were saying a moment ago about uh, about 3D camp because just the 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 collection of people together with so many different backgrounds and and such wisdom, it's amazing that it can do in minutes what you probably couldn't do in years yes. by yourself, isn't yes. it? To shave off all the misconceptions and I also know. really encourage encourage you yeah. in, in a particular way too. Yeah. Um, Because the barrier, it's it's a great thing in many ways, but the barrier to entry, of course, has become so much lower. I mean, if you think about game development, if you're trying to do that and, you know, again, talking about the 80s again, you know, trying to build cartridges and, you know, (laughs) things like this. Some very, very serious engineering challenges. Now, you know, literally anybody can download Unity and, you know, put something together if they're willing to, you know, watch some tutorials. That's really exciting and really encouraging. But of course, as with anything like that, it can kind of (laughs) lower the standards a bit sometimes. What, what, what What do you think about the standards? I think there's a mix. So I Mm. think there is some very, very high quality content. And then obviously, as with anything, there there can be some low quality content. Mm. Um, But there's definitely a mix there. Um, I think a lot of the hardware uh, manufacturers are being careful what they allow 
available to people because mm-hmm. you don't want people to have a bad experience and not come back to VR. Yeah. So I think there is some restrictions, probably not as much on mobile as there is on mm-hmm. VR. Um, but again, you know, I suppose the way to, to combat that is getting feedback from people. And if there's areas that you need to improve in your product, um, maybe investing in those areas or speaking to Enterprise Ireland or, or someone like that mm-hmm. who would potentially be able to help you to scale enough to right. get some some um, resources available to you. Motion sickness is one practical point, of mm-hmm. course, which, which you know everybody's trying to address in one shape or form. But, you know, as experience design gets better, as equipment gets better, it, it does seem to be happening to some degree. Yeah. certainly can speak from personal experience in trying earlier demos yeah. on you know DK1 or DK2 Oculus yeah. Rift that uh, I certainly feel very different now and I'm part of it maybe me just getting accustomed to I it know. but oh my gosh that was rough rough in the early days I know so it, it is getting there but part of it is the technology in that sense and, and just the physiology how it works together yeah but part of it's the content as well this is I suppose an emerging topic that we're still exploring yeah. uh, as a community but horror games or of course one very obvious example of that we had keith barry on and we stuck him in the brookhaven experiment and there was you know people shooting at him and grabbing him from each side yeah. you know in terms of zombies and when you when you start to develop this type of content yours yours is interesting because it falls between both categories yeah. i suppose again the cute and the sinister are both yeah. being accounted for <laughs> but uh in terms of responsibility with that what are, what are your reflections on that as a yeah i think like I think, okay, there we were very um, conscious of nausea from the beginning mm-hmm. because you know it is not a nice feeling when you feel nauseous yeah. from a title. Um, I actually demoed something there last week and I actually felt sick for a good hour after yeah. it and it was horrible. Uh, but you know that is something that you need to take to, into account. There's a lot of ways to eliminate nausea and that's why it's good for new developers to talk to people in the industry. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways where you don't have to have like rapid movement or things like that. Our second game, obviously the roller coaster, mm. can cause nausea with some people, but most people who get nausea in VR don't do roller coasters. Right, right, good point. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, it's in the it's real kind world of too. In the yeah. small print <laughs> underneath it. Uh, Does so, that help? Because I know some research on having a fixed uh, carriage that you're yeah. in, like the cars and things yeah. like that, can that be helpful. That does help. Like we help? we yeah. did add elements. I, I mean, I don't get nauseous from uh, Sneaky Bear's roller coaster, and in fact you know it there is other games that cause a lot more mm-hmm. nausea which wouldn't you know wouldn't be as fast as our yeah. game uh, so we did use a lot of tricks to try and eliminate nausea with it but you know there is constantly um your inner ear is saying you know Jesus uh, you know you're you're mm-hmm. still and then mm-hmm. your your mind is saying no yeah. I'm moving so there's you know there's this kind of like combat and then you you start to feel a little bit sick um so, yeah, so the, the, there is ways to definitely eliminate it. And it's it's something we've been very conscious of in the development of mm. our new game. So, like, you know, we, do, we don't want any nausea at all, yeah. obviously, in that title. And beyond the physiological into the psychological, what about packaging sheer emotional terror and experiences? That seemed okay when it was a platform game. Yeah. <laughs> As we get more and more immersive, and God, I've played some scary stuff. What was that, that haunted mine one i was trying in vive the other day uh, yeah. and oh my god these things coming at me and yeah you can certainly really feel it yeah you well, totally do, can. Do, do we need to be concerned over that or not i don't know like again i think any scary titles people go into it knowing that it's gonna scare them yeah, uh, yeah. and they're marketed as such um we there, there our game really isn't scary it's kind of, it's kind of funny and quirky there is there mm. is a sinister vibe sure. to it definitely well, that's the fun the fun bit isn't yes, it yes <laughs> exactly but there's there isn't really anything scary in it yeah um and we actually one of the guys in the office is very afraid of scare, scariness <laughs> in VR. he's your test uh, test going to person <laughs> exactly so uh he's actually barred us from creating any sort of <laughs> horror titles uh but uh i think i think there is definitely a genre within VR which is horror and like you know people using VR for one of the first times that scare factor is mm. is kind of like a good thing to do because it just shows how immersive the platform is uh, but again I think it's a genre and I think sure. people either go and market their title as, as such and then people know what they're entering into uh, I think it would be cruel 
to just be like, oh, this is a really fun game and then have someone <laughs> jump out of you. <laughs> well, that does seem to be the point, doesn't it? Yeah. There does seem to be a, a, a way in which consent is needed and you yes. can appropriately inform that. Exactly. And, you know, genres and games, I suppose, have developed relatively clearly. Yeah. VR, particularly in terms of experiences, it, you know, it's a bit more, it's a bit, bit, bit more tricky. Yeah. Like, particularly for us, because in terms of therapeutic development, you know genres don't really make sense there you've got experiences of different types and the other thing is are they going to be used with or without a therapist there as well yes. accompanying and moderating the experience so yeah you know at least what you're doing you're packaging it and you you kind of know what you're sending out there exactly. i suppose it but does what it says in the s- some of these you know phobia treatment programs you know there's literally sliding scales for scariness in yeah. real time that you can play with and you don't accidentally knock one of those oh, you know yeah, at the no. wrong time <laughs> absolutely mm. So you you uh, presumably you've obviously got your, your got your staff to test, but you you have I suppose a range in mind as to what what you're trying to hit. Is it in terms of a yeah. comfort level or scariness level? Yeah, we're we're like we're not creating anything scary, I suppose, and we don't want to make people notice. Like that's not what we're mm-hmm. out to do. Mm-hmm. So I think for us, yeah, we're we're just looking to create engaging, fun content for people to experience in VR, and also have like kind of fun gameplay throughout so like the playstation vr game has a lot more strategy to Mm, it mm. Um, and it's about just trying to think of things that are fun to do in that environment and then making them come to life which is a really nice place to be and a really nice thing to be able to do so another thing on this point that's interesting is the definition of what a game is and this has become more in question i suppose because as this notion of gamification develops which you know seems to be making things fun to do again yeah. it's a bit like how we teach kids things isn't yeah, it basically just yeah. don't have to do it in a boring sit down exactly. serious way but have a bit of fun doing it it starts to get a bit trickier doesn't it to define what a game is exactly yeah now, we probably still have polls we can say roughly a game is this and roughly this thing isn't a game yeah but the reason why it seems to be tricky is because the attitude towards the thing seems to be as important as the thing itself yeah there's plenty of things like if you had to you know deal with sneaky bears for a living you know if this was a real world phenomena yeah. that you had to deal with yeah. and you know you went into work nine to five every day and you had to address this as an issue that mightn't be a game anymore. Yeah, that would just be work. And then somebody else, of course, would be the most joyful, fun thing to do. But of course, yeah. if you're a firefighter for a living, that might be a job. But then somebody loves to play a firefighter for a few hours, and that's the most fun thing in the world to do. Yeah. What is a game anymore? Are we post-game in any shape or form? Or what do you think? Uh, so I think, you know, like I, I think uh, a game is anything that has any kind of like gameplay in it uh so i think gamification is like you know there's a really nice way of educating especially the younger generation through Mm -hmm. these kind of like game orientated ways or just creating some fun to some sort of educational piece yeah um but i do think that uh you know, there's there's a large space for games. People really enjoy games. Yeah. A lot of games, I suppose, have some advantages. Like our first game was a Facebook and mobile game called Global Agents, mm. and so not VR. Yeah. Um, and so it was a hidden object game, and we still get emails of people with dementia saying it's really really helping them wow. to remember things, and they'd be going back into scenes and you know mm. seeing things again. That's actually really nice, That's you know. Really nice. And we didn't do, you know, we didn't create mm. the game with that in mind. Whereas, you know, that was just something that came about from nice. the actual gameplay in 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 the title. So, um, I think things like that, you know, th- th- it can be like a side product of games mm-hmm. without even realizing it. You could just you can have some advantages to people, you know, using strategy or using. Um, using their mind to do something within a game environment Mm -hmm. and that becomes a little bit more fun it's something you appreciate in the therapeutic use of experiential learning yeah uh, is that yeah therapy isn't you know a room with a person there and an hour of talking yeah it's an experience it can be walking down the street and seeing something it can be a film it can be it can be a game and this is interesting isn't it because as the two overlap 
you, you can really bring about some very powerful changes in people's life through really the can. media that you develop. Yeah. How, how, how much, you know, you're obviously intending that anyway in the narratives and the storytelling you're doing. You're, I'm sure, trying to hit certain emotions. Yeah. Do you think at all beyond that? Do you think about the Alzheimer's? Do you think about overcoming fear? Do you think about those yeah. as aims? I think Fior is an ideal platform to do good things in the health space. Uh, I definitely think there is a lot of advantages to Vior in terms of people that struggle to meditate or people, um, you know, you know, maybe I, so kids probably shouldn't really be using Vior as of yet. But mm. I do think even the younger generation just, uh, you know, being in certain environments and getting a little bit of escapism. Yes, I think is very, very important. And it's a really, really nice way to do that. You know, we've got a big issue these days with you know anxiety in children yes, and a yeah. lot of um uh anxiety in 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 i suppose you know it's a fast uh driven or fast-paced life yes, lead, yeah um and that has repercussions so having you know taking the time to put on a virtual reality kit mm. and sitting and concentrating on something else a real mindfulness in it can have yeah mm. really really good health yeah. benefits so i think there is a lot that VR can do in the medical space. Um, and I think, you know, whether it's through games, because games are an escapism as well, yeah. um, or whether it's through actual proper meditation experiences, yeah. um, there is a lot can, that can be done there. And I think you're right to distinguish those two things, because I'm, I'm sure they're on a pole, they, they inevitably must be. But it's very important, I think, that we do distinguish them because there's a notion that, okay, if we want to develop for therapeutic purposes, that we need to make that very explicit. Yeah. But what you're saying there, I think, is very, very important that, no, no, the game, which doesn't make out to be therapy in any shape or form, but nonetheless is very therapeutic to experience, yeah. is at least as important as the formal. Exactly. Learning. Yes. We don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be, okay, here's a lesson. We're going to sit down and learn now. Yeah. That's not the point. Yeah. The point is to draw out certain emotion, to kind of stretch certain kind of cognitive muscles in certain ways. Exactly. And you're, you're whether you ever say you're going to do that or not, you're actually very well placed to do that. Yes, 100%. And that would be the hope, I suppose, is that as a result, therapy in a very broad sense with a small t gets actually very big very very big because yes. everybody's working on it they are yeah 100 you know there's real room for collaboration there yeah there really is as we think about the the gamification and uh you know the boundaries between work and play drawing down the other point we were making is the um the, the the equipment distinctions vary as well. The technology starts to kind of disappear to some shape or form as well. Yeah, we've gamified serious learning, uh, and then we've also kind of disappeared the technology to some degree. How does that fit in in terms of work life balance? In terms of even work ethic, this notion of going to a factory to work and there's the machine, and then you come home and then that's it finished. It seems to me a bit like the iPhone has your camera on it yeah. and it has everything else on it too. It seems that everything is just merging together. So work yeah. is becoming fun, and yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, fun is you know uh -oh. maybe being thought about strategically. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. blending together. Yeah. What what do you think about that in terms of work life balance as technologies merge? Yeah, I think it's good. Listen, I think the more enjoyable your work environment is, the better. People spend more time in work, I suppose, than anywhere else. Uh, so if we're able to make things a little bit easier, it's less stressful on people. And I think it's more, you know, people are enjoying their lives a lot more. So I think anything we can do in terms of doing that, I think, is an advantage, to mm -hmm. be honest. And I think it's nice. Like, it's nice for people to be able to, you know, not have to maybe sit down with a book for an hour and be right. able to do something in a different format. It adds variety. Mm -hmm. um, and when it's something new, it's people are more excited about it and it becomes more enjoyable for that person, which makes a happier person. And that's obviously got a lot of advantages to mm. having a happier, you know, environment, I suppose. Well, it's going to happen anyway, whether we like it or not. <laughs> no. So we might as well navigate it exactly, well. Exactly. Yes. So as we as we draw to a close, if you rewind back any number of years that you wish back to a a younger Nikki back then, and uh, you know, you you've obviously picked up a thing or two along the way in terms of insight and uh, from the experiences you've had. Is the one kind of bit of knowledge or one insight that really stands out for you from your learning along the way? You need to give the younger you, or you give anybody else listening. What 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 is your big learning? Do you think? 
I think I think for me the big learning that I've had is when I was at Facebook and I was thinking about setting up my own business. Yeah. Just I I thought about it for a long time um, mm. and I always say and it's like the Nike slogan but I always say just do it if you have a concept mm. if you think it's strong enough obviously make sure you have a solid business <laughs> case don't ever hand in their notice um, but you know just just make sure you have a strong business case but if you think you can do it you should give it a shot because especially when you're younger it's probably the only chance that you have to do something like that so I yeah, I always say just just if you if you feel like you have a solid concept that you think would do well, be it in V or be it in A or be it in anything else, you should just go for it. Mm-hmm. And as we were discussing, the barriers to entry have been lower than they ever have exactly. before, isn't it? It's yeah. not that you had to mortgage your house or anything to do it. It's yeah. it's it's a different world in that sense. And Ireland is great because, you know, there's a lot of support mechanisms there. People share a lot. Yeah. Uh, people really want to support each other. Enterprise Ireland are fantastic um, they really, really help young startups and they want people to scale. Uh, so there's a lot of support there for people that are starting their businesses. To, so even to start having those conversations mm-hmm. with some of those, you know, those uh, support mechanisms that are there, that mm. that is really beneficial. It's true. And th- this is back to your point about 3D camp and about about j- just that community, that yeah. sense of, of getting yeah. together, because yeah. it's amazing how you know, how skilled we can be in some ways and how, you know, hopelessly incompetent in other ways. Yes. And that's okay. That's yeah. called individuality, isn't it? Yeah, sure. You listen, know, we're literally not the same. I know. And everyone has questions, you yeah. know, like some of the questions I've asked, you know, you, you, you do need to, if you're new in a space, you have questions and that's, yeah. um, for you, they might be difficult to source an answer, but for from asking someone else in the mm. industry, you might have a response in two seconds that really, really makes sense to you. Yeah. So, you know, people should be shouldn't be shy about asking questions uh, yeah. if they if they're looking for more information. Skills and resources. And it, it's funny as well how you're not really asking for favors as well, because yeah. the thing you have, the other person needs, they have the yes. thing that you need. And yeah. it's just a complete win win in exactly. many cases. It's not a zero sum game when it comes to collaboration. Exactly. And we're trying to build, you know, a network of, you know, tech and VR and AOR companies here. So, you know, for from you asking questions and mm. getting help uh, will, means you're joining that network and strengthening the group. So, yeah, it's a win-win. Um, it's a win-win, definitely. Wonderful. If anybody wants to follow up on you and what you're doing and your exciting current and future projects, what's the best way for them to keep in touch? So the best way to keep in touch would be to uh, look at our website, which is wardux.com or also we have a, a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also to attend the Irish VR and 3D camp meetups. Um, so you can just find them on meetup.com. Wonderful. Um, well, listen, Nikki, it's been fabulous having you on the Body Mind Self podcast. Thanks. Thank you for being here and talk again soon. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you.